Well, as you are turning in your Bible or on your Bible app or in your bulletin to Ephesians chapter 2, we are continuing our journey through Ephesians, and um, as we read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I want to remind us that you could sum up the whole letter of Ephesians by saying this, that Paul is saying to the people in Ephesus, to the Christians in Ephesus, be who you are in Christ. It's just that simple. Be who you are in Christ. Now, the the be part is chapters 4 through 6. The who you are part is chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. So we're right in the middle of who are we. And then Paul is building this case for who we are in Christ so that for the rest of the chapter, he can say, now be that. Be those people. Be who you are in Christ. And so he comes to this not only famous but absolutely crucial place in Ephesians 2 where he tells us something about who we are, and it's so good and so rich, we're going to spend four Sundays thinking about it together. So, would you stand with me as we hear the word of the God who loves his church, the word of the God who loves Mountain Fellowship. I'm going to read all ten verses, and we're going to do that every week, but then we'll focus this morning on just the first five. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated as I pray. Father, would you come by your Holy Spirit and help us to hear and understand your word. Help it to speak uh, to our hearts and not just to our heads, but, but not any less than our heads. Help it to speak to all of us, to all of who we are. And would you continue, even now, in this time we have together, to do the miracle of making dead people come to life. 
ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We didn't sing it this morning, and I think we'll probably sing it next week or the week after, but one of my favorite Advent hymns is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. So Nathan's taking a note. Add to liturgy next week. Um, It's one of my favorites. But this week, one particular line from that hymn has been uh, swirling in my heart. And I'm going to sing it, and then you're going to sing the chorus with me, okay? It goes like this. Oh, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night. And death's dark shadows put to flight. Sing with me. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Some of us are longing this morning for the day spring, for Jesus. The day spring is the first break of new light of day. We're longing for him to come and burn away the gloomy clouds of night that lay like a a heavy fog on our hearts and our homes and on our nation. Some of us are longing for Jesus to blow away the clouds of depression, clouds of division, clouds of confusion in the middle of our suffering and loss, the fog of the overpowering sin that keeps us from seeing and following Jesus. And some of us are walking through the valley of those dark shadows of death and disease. We long for Jesus to come and fully and finally put to death death, put disease to flight and to put darkness on notice that its end has come. That's what Advent is all about. In his first coming, he made the decisive blow to death and disease and decay and to sin. But he comes again to fully and finally put it all to death. What does this have to do with Ephesians? Well, Paul wrote this letter to encourage those who walked in darkness that they have seen the great light. His name is Jesus. Paul knew that the followers of Jesus in Ephesus were enveloped in the same kinds of darkness that surrounds us. The darkness of a culture that rejected Jesus for their own version of the good life. The darkness of evil powers in the unseen realm that that many of them had left to follow Jesus. Remember the story in Acts 19 where they burned a pile of their sorcery books. They knew the darkness of those dark powers in unseen realms. They, like we, are surrounded by the darkness of physical and relational suffering and the darkness of our own remaining battle with sin. 
But what, what ray of hope could Paul offer in his letter to these folks who are walking in darkness? Well, later in Ephesians 5, he says this, and it, and it has great relevance for what we're talking about this morning. Ephesians 5, 8, Paul says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. No, no, hold on a second, Paul. We're over here. We're walking in darkness. We're surrounded by darkness. We're, we're fighting against the darkness inside and outside of us. And you're going to encourage us by telling us that we were darkness? <laughs> what about that darkness out there? <laughs> At one time, you were darkness. But now you are light in the in, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. See, God's desire for us as his church is to walk as children of light in the middle of that darkness. How is it encouraging to tell people who are in darkness that they were darkness? I think we'll find the answer to that question as we answer a few others. Uh, in verses 1 through 5 this morning. Here, here are the questions that I want to answer for us, or Paul is going to answer for us. First, we have to remind ourselves, who are the people Paul is talking to here? Who are the readers of this letter? And then the two big questions are, who were they by nature, and who are they by grace? That's what Paul wants to focus on. And then we'll, we'll think for a minute about why we need to remember who we were and who we are in order to walk as children of light in the dark places God has put us. So who is Paul talking to here? I think it's important for us to remember this because what he's about to say in these verses does not apply to every person. Back in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul said to the readers of this letter, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. He's writing to people who have faith in the Lord Jesus. He's writing to a small community of Jesus followers in Ephesus who are made up of people who rested all that they knew about themselves on all that they had heard about Jesus. I, I, I like that picture of what faith is. It's resting all that I know about myself on all that I've heard about Jesus. And what had they heard about Jesus from Paul and his companions? Paul had told them that Jesus came to live the life that they were made to live but refused to live. Paul had told them that Jesus came to be crucified on a cross, taking on himself the penalty they deserve for not living as God had designed them to live. And Paul had told them that Jesus rose from the dead, he's alive. He rose from the dead to prove that his payment for their rebellion was more than enough. More than enough to satisfy the wrath of God. Paul had told them about Jesus. 
So Paul was writing these words to every man, woman, boy, and girl in Ephesus who was putting all of their hope in this Jesus, who lived for them, died for them, rose again for them. That's, that's who these words that we're about to look at closely for a few minutes, that's who they're to. So I wonder about you. Have you rested all that you know about yourself on this Jesus? Have you rested all that you know about yourself on that Jesus? If not, why not today? You'll have the opportunity to do that because this morning what we're going to hear from Paul is more about ourselves and more about Jesus. So if you're saying to Jesus this morning, here, here's all of me just as I am. And I want you. I want all of you just as you are. If, if that's your heart this morning, then, then these words from Paul are for you. And so what did he have to say to people who put their faith in Jesus? He, he reminds them of who they were by nature. He says, uh, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. So let's get this straight. This little section, verses 1 through 3, is what they once were and are now no longer. In Paul's mind, this is past. It's done. It's who they were without Jesus. It's what is true of every person. He says the rest of mankind was like this. Every person who has not been rescued and restored by Jesus. And he says three things that we, that we were by nature without Christ. We were corpses, we were captives, and we were condemned. So let's look at those three. We were, we were corpses, he says. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's hard to describe dead much better than dead, but I'll try. Uh, Just as a physical corpse cannot see, hear, love, talk with, or respond to another person, so the spiritually dead person cannot see the glory and beauty of Jesus. They don't hear the Holy Spirit speaking through the Word of God. They have no love for God. They have no desire to talk with God. They don't respond to him. And that's how we are without Jesus. And what is the cause of death? The cause of this death, he says, is that we are dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. And he uses two different words for sin so that he can kind of wrap it all up into one statement, sums it all up. He uses uh, trespasses and the word sins. And trespasses means literally to cross the line. It's kind of how we would use the word trespass. That's why English translators choose this word because it means to cross a boundary willfully into a place that you're not supposed to go. That's trespasses. These are sins that we actively commit. These are things that we do that we ought not to do. And the word for sins here is a word that means to miss the mark. It means to miss the bullseye. 
to fall short. And so this is the kind of sin that's a passive uh, sin. It's, it's not committing sins. It's omitting things that we should have done. These are the things that we leave undone. So he's wrapping it all up for us. The things we do that we shouldn't do and the things we leave undone that we shouldn't have left undone. These are what make us dead people. Now, we like to call this in our circles total depravity. It means that all of our thinking and feeling and choosing and speaking and doing is corrupted by the spiritual deadness of our sin. And total depravity doesn't mean that we are as sinful as we could be. It's not what total means. It means that the total person is corrupted by sin. We are totally dead in what we do and in what we leave undone. Now, when, when you read these verses, it is very difficult in our day and age not to have the image of zombies come into your mind, you know, the walking dead. These are living but dead people Paul is talking about. And so what he's saying is that we are spiritually dead and decaying, and we move toward others spreading death and decay. And I mean, that's just the picture of the typical picture of the zombie. The zombie himself is dead and decaying, but he's also on the move to spread it to others. Um, apart from Jesus, we're on death and decay autopilot. It's just what we do. Which leads to the next thing that Paul says we were by nature. He says we were captives. Listen to how he describes how we were captives. He says we were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And third, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. So we are captive to the world. We are captive to Satan. We are captive to our own fleshly desires when we are without Christ. It, it reminds me of those moving sidewalks in the airport, right? So I've already decided this is the direction I want to go, but the moving sidewalk is going to help uh, energize my walk. It's going to help carry me along in the direction I've already chosen to go. And that's what these things, the world and Satan and the flesh, are doing for us. They're like the moving sidewalk that carries us along in the direction we've already decided to go. And Paul calls this captivity or slavery to the world and the devil and our flesh. So let's look at those briefly. What does it mean we're captive to the world? He says we're following the course of this world. Literally, it's we're following the, the age of this world. J.B. Phillips said that this was drifting along the stream of this world's ideas of living. We're just drifting along in the way everybody else lives life and thinks about life. A couple of weeks ago, I, talked, I called this thinking inside the bus. And I talked about how we tend to live life. People who are without Christ live life as if we're on a bus ride 
but the shades are all pulled down. So we can't see the glory and beauty that's outside the bus, that there's more to reality than what's inside the bus. So inside the bus, we just live to get the best seat on the bus. That's what it means to follow the course of the world, is to not see outside the, the existence and the excellence of God that's, we're blind to, we may believe he exists, but we don't think he's excellent. And so we're blind to his worth. And so all we think is, this is all there is, and I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to get the best seat on this bus. And apart from Jesus, that's how we're going to live, following the course of this world, thinking only inside the bus. And that moving sidewalk is going to take us along with everybody else in that direction we've chosen to go. But we're also captive to Satan, Paul says. And I know um, it's, it may seem odd or, or, or a bit um, goofy, you know, to talk about this, this devil that's behind everything, but this is what the Bible teaches. This is what Paul is saying, that we are following, apart from Christ, we're following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The prince of the power of the air. Uh, the Greeks had two words for air. One was the, the lower air that's kind of laying on the earth like a, like a fog. And then the other word for air was the air above that air that was clear, pure, higher. Well, the word Paul is using here, the prince of the power of the air, is the first one. It's, it's the lower air. It's not the clear, pure air that is high above. Um, you could translate prince of the power of the air as prince of the power of the foggy atmosphere that just surrounds the earth. And so what Paul is saying is that Satan's aim is to keep us in a blind fog about who God is and what he's up to. And so then it's no wonder that this blindness about God leads us to be sons of disobedience to God. Apart from Jesus, we're just going along the flow of the moving sidewalk, captive to the one who is working overtime to keep us from seeing Jesus. And then Paul says, apart from Jesus, we're captive to the flesh. Now, here's what he says. Among whom we all once lived... In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, by flesh here, Paul does not mean this fleshy stuff that covers our bones. It's a metaphor. He's talking about our fallen, self-centered nature. You've heard me say it before. I'll say it again because it's helpful to me, but I call it our me-first heart. It's a heart that's all about me. Um, but let's, let's not misunderstand what Paul is saying here. He, he's not saying that God didn't make us with passions and desires of the body and mind that are good. Well, of course he did. He made us with desires of the body for food, for sex, for sleep, for play, for industry, work. Um, those are all good desires God has given us. He's given us good desires of the mind as well to create, to imagine, to achieve, to make an impact, to love. All of these things are good gifts from the Father. That's, 
Paul's not trying to say that the desire is bad. Paul's talking about when those desires and passions of the body and the mind go out of bounds or out of balance. They go out of the, balance, the bounds of what God says we should desire in those things. How we should use our desires for food, sex, play, work, uh, industry, uh, creativity, imagination, achievement, impact, love. All, if we use those desires in a way that God says not to, then those become kind of desires of the flesh that Paul is talking about. But they can also be good desires that are out of balance, over-desires. It's when desires for food and sex and pleasure and achievement and impact um, are out of balance and we desire them more than we should. So Paul is saying that apart from Jesus, we're just going to go along with the flow of this moving sidewalk, having, our pa- having passions that are captive to our me-first fo- me motivations. So when we use our God-given good desires for me-first priorities. So we are not only corpses, we're corpses that are captive to the world, to Satan, and to the flesh. And then Paul says in verse 3 that we are condemned. We are by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I don't think I have to describe what that means. It's pretty clear. We deserve the wrath of God for the choices we've made. And apart from Jesus, we get what we deserve for the way we've walked. Now, (laughs) happy Advent, Pastor. Um, I know this is hard and and maybe even hopeless news to hear. But but Paul stopped for a moment. Did, Did you see that? He stopped for a moment to focus on those things. He said, he he was going to go on and talk about Jesus being raised and made alive together with Christ. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then he kind of went off on this tangent to describe all of those things. Because if you look in verse 4, or verse 5, he comes back to, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. That's where he's headed, but he took this detour and he took the time to go into depth to tell us what it looked like when we were corpses and captives and condemned. Because it's important for us to know what we were. We'll talk more about why in a minute. But yeah, it sounds hopeless. You you get into this and Paul's describing all this so that it builds you to a place where you go, what can overcome that? What what are we going to do with that? And then he says some of the most glorious words in all the Bible, but God, but God. 
All of this was true of you, Ephesians. All of this was true of you, Mountain Fellowship. But God, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So now Paul wants us to know not only that what we were by nature, but, what, but who we are now by God's grace. And he tells us what God did and why he did it. Briefly, listen. What God did was, even when we were dead and hopeless in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He made us alive. Jesus took our trespasses and sins into the grave with him. He paid the debt of death that we owe for our deadness toward God. And then he put death to death by rising again from the grave. Our sin, our deadness to God is done in Christ. Just as the dead body of Jesus was made alive, so our hearts are made alive with him. That's what happens when God interrupts the hopelessness of our condition. But God made us alive. And then Paul uses this word that in church circles is used a lot, and we don't really uh, think about what it means. It's become so common that we, we forget what it means. He says that we were saved. Are you saved, brother? You know, if you've grown up in church, you've heard that all your life. But Paul uses it to describe all of this that God has done for us. He saved us from our deadness in sin. He saved us from our captivity to the world, to Satan and to our flesh. He saved us from the condemnation that we deserved. And he saved us to a new life, and we'll talk about that in the coming weeks. But that's what God has done. Who are we by God's grace? We are alive with Christ. We have been saved. <laughs> but here's the great question. Why did he do that? Why would he save the likes of us? But God being rich in mercy. Because he's rich in mercy. You know, Elon Musk is worth over $300 billion now. But Elon Musk couldn't even pay the national debt of our country. It would take 76 Elon Musks to pay the national debt. But there's more mercy in Jesus than there is sin in us. There's more mercy in Jesus. He's rich. That's why he did it. Because of the great love with which he loved us. He did this because he loves you. This is what Paul is trying to get to. I want to tell you how bad it was so that you can know how great the love is. Great deadness requires a great love. And God has that for you. 
and he's a gracious God. If mercy is not getting what you deserve, grace is getting what you don't deserve. So he did more than forgive us the debt. He also gave us all of his inheritance. By grace we have been saved. And so I wonder, why, why do we need to know? Why did they need to know? Why do we need to know who we were and who we are? A couple of thoughts. We need to know who we were and who we are so that we can take joy in and find rest in the height and the depth and the breadth and the reach of God's mercy toward us, his love for us, and his power to make us alive. To say, but God, whenever we're drawn to walk in those ways again, whenever we're drawn to be like a a living corpse, whenever we're drawn to be captive to those things again in our lives, whenever we're drawn to feel like we still live under the condemnation of God, we need to be able to say, yeah, that's happening in my heart. It's pulling me away, but God is rich in mercy. He has great love for me. And he has so much power that he raised my dead heart from the grave. So he can help me with these other things that are pulling me away from him. Secondly, we need to know who we were and who we are so that we can understand our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. Because what's true of who we were is, Paul is saying, the rest of mankind is just like that apart from Jesus. It helps us to be able to have compassion on people. Why do we keep getting angry at dead people for not living like they're alive? They need resurrection. They need resurrection. Just like I did. So we need to know who we were and who we are so that we'll have compassion on dead people. So that we'll pray that God would raise them from the dead because only he can do it. And thirdly, we need to know who we were and who we are so that it would encourage us To tell the ones to whom we've been sent. The good news. That God has mercy on rebels. That he loves sinners. He really loves them. Remember Jesus? He loved to hang out with sinners. Not so that that he could be like them. So that he could draw them to him. And so that they can hear from us that he has the power to make what's dead and dark in them alive and aflame in him. This is is just a little bit of why we need to remember who we were and who we are in Christ. One of my favorite Christmas traditions is the candlelight Christmas Eve service. 
Now, one day we might have our own, but I encourage you uh, this year to go find a local church where they're having one of these candlelight Christmas Eve services. You know how it is at the end, we turn the lights off, everybody gets a candle, the pastor uh, has a candle that's lit, and you know, if we do it really cool, we take the center candle, the Christ candle out, we use that, and you know, the elders and ushers come, and we light all of their candles, and then they go down the aisle and light the candle of the person sitting in the aisle, and those people light the candles next to them. And as it spreads, the darkness in the room is forced out. You can see the glow on people's faces, the glow in the room as we sing about the light of the world who stepped down into darkness on what was probably not a silent night. I love that picture because that's what Paul is trying to encourage the Ephesians to be when he says, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. God is sending us out. No longer as zombies who spread death and decay, but as candles, children of light, taking the life and the light of Jesus into the darkness of the people and places he's called us to go. So Mountain Fellowship, be encouraged. You were once dark. Now you are light in the Lord. Let's walk as children of light. Let's be who we are in Christ. Easier said than done. That's why we need Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reminder of who we were apart from Jesus. Oh, it's it's a horrible, horrible picture. But if we're honest, We recognize it in ourselves. But thank you for the reminder of who we are in Christ and and help us as we unpack that more in the coming weeks to believe it's true so that we can live, so that we can walk as new creations in Christ who have been created in Christ Jesus for good works. It's the kind of people we want to be, and we need your help. So convince us of who we are, and then empower us to be who we are in Christ, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.